to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. It's, it's, it's amazing when the Holy Spirit shows up. It's like a, being a toaster oven plugged into a nuclear power plant. You're just, whoa, like, <laughs> and you're feeling, you know, his presence washing over you. You know, the voice of the Lord is the most powerful thing in all the universe. The Psalms talks about how the voice of the Lord will twist cedars of Lebanon and explode, you know, the oaks. The, the voice of the Lord thunders over the waters. The voice of the Lord causes every pregnant calf to give birth. That's an interesting one, isn't it? It's in there. Every pregnant calf, the voice of the Lord, boom, and meh, like, you know, like, they're just... <laughs> We don't want that to happen to Liz, Lord. <laughs> Keep that baby in there, growing perfect, Lord Jesus. Y'all know that Liz is pregnant. It's amazing. Yeah, she announced it last week, so I didn't, I'm not like, anyway. So the voice of the Lord <laughs> is so powerful. It explodes trees, but we're able to withstand the power of it and like shake and reverberate in the presence of God. Like we were made so perfectly to, to dwell and, and tremble and, and in, in that environment, in, that, in the presence of God, that even though it would destroy uh, the most powerful trees, we are able to withstand it. And it's, it's just incredible. You know, one time, we all know like Philippians 2, like how, how humble is our Savior that he would leave heaven, take on our form, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like how humble is it that he would descend and incarnate, he, the incarnation would happen. It's just so amazing that he would become, he would be made like us in every way, that he would be tempted in every way and yet not sin. That, you know, since we shared in flesh and blood, he too shared in our flesh and blood. This is Hebrews 2, 14. That he would uh, destroy the one or who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free every one of us who through our fear of death were held in slavery to him. And so Jesus was made just like us and it was the most incredible thing. But you know, one time the Lord whispered to me, he said, I couldn't wait. And I was like, Lord, you're gonna have to unpack that one for me. And I feel like he began to show me that there's no greater place in the universe to experience the voice and presence and love of God than within a human frame. He loved it so much that he didn't give it up, right? He, he kept the body. I'm sure a lot of changes and upgrades have happened, of course, but you know, the, the glorified body, the resurrected body, but he still, kept, he still kept that body of that Jewish man. He is, the, he is that Jewish man. Like, it's just mind boggling that the one who created everything would put all of God into a microscopic seed, into a woman's egg, and be born within the construct that he created, and the creator is now within creation. It's just, it's incredible. And there's, um, you know, there's a civil war that happens in our souls, like when we, um, when we want to be, 
led by the Spirit on our good days, and like, our, like our, our spirit wants to be led by the Holy Spirit, but our carnal mind is at enmity with God, and we're fighting, like we're, we're just thinking, that doesn't work. That's, that's defying the laws of physics, or that's, that doesn't look like wisdom, it looks like foolishness, but is it the kind of foolishness that's the good kind of foolishness? Are you guys following me? Like, we, we're, this battle begins, like when we start to try to follow the Holy Spirit completely, when we start to give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit completely, our mind still resists. And we come up with all these great reasons why not to do that crazy thing that the Lord is asking us to do. And there are, you know, there are moves of God within, within Christianity or, you know, there are branches of Christianity where you can see, where you can see more, tra- more traditional hold and, and, and branches where there's more like um, wild and, you know, unhinged and following the, the Holy Spirit and, or, or people who would claim, well, we're, we're people of, of scripture and people over here who would claim, well, we're people of the Holy Spirit, but there has to be a merger, like, there has to be a merger where we're embracing the, the beautiful traditions of our faith, but inviting the Holy Spirit to go far above and beyond all of that. And I think about often how um, there's, there's almost a civil war in the church, and it has to do with the goodness of God or what we believe to be the nature of God. And there are people who say he can't be that good or he can't be that kind and there are people who say it's impossible to exaggerate his goodness. How, how could we exaggerate the kindness and goodness of God, right? That's a Bill Johnson-ism again. Like it's, you can try, like you could distort it or, you know, or pervert it, but you can't exaggerate the goodness of God. And, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, president during the American Civil War, he had one of the hardest jobs of any military or, or, or country leader um, in, in a time of war. And, and he had to defeat an enemy without villainizing them. Could you imagine how hard that would be? So like most commanders of an army or, or leaders would dehumanize the enemy and say, we have to rid the world of that refuse. You know, they're less than human. Like, just go, we, just kill those animals. You know what I mean? But Lincoln couldn't do that because he knew that once the war was over, he was going to have to reunify all of these states and they were actually fighting against brothers. And so he had the hardest job in the world and that was this. He had to ruthlessly, relentlessly war against a mentality without villainizing the brothers that carried it. Which is where we find ourselves in church. There is... Our struggle is never against flesh and blood, right? It's, it's, against these, it's against any lofty thought that would set itself up against the knowledge of God. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty for the tearing down of fortresses and strongholds. See, God is at war, but he is at war against anything that is damaging the reputation of his son. And we get to be part of that. And it's, 
It's a great privilege where we, where we get to talk about God in a way that sets people free from their, their lesser understanding of him. The Lord, um, when he was talking to me about Abraham Lincoln, this was several years ago, the thing I just shared about old Abe, um, I was in a prayer room, in a prayer set, and that's when he started talking to me about Abraham Lincoln, and he, and he said to me, I'm looking for my Abrahams. You know, those who would war against these kinds of mentalities, but be so insanely, incredibly gracious and gentle to every person who might be carrying them. Because we do want to rid the world, our brothers and sisters, of these ideas, but we also want to love them because they are our brothers and sisters. So we can't be pulling out our sword of the spirit and stabbing people in the heart with it, you know, in the flesh with it. We're waging war against these spiritual ideologies. So anyway, he said, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns. And so I, I get out of the prayer set and I'm driving home and my phone rings and it's a number I don't recognize. And most of the time you just ignore those, right? You let, let it go to voicemail. But for some reason I, I answered it and um, I said, hello. And the guy said, is this Abe? And I was like, as in, Abraham? Now, mind you, it was like a half hour later, the Lord said, I'm looking for my Abrahams. It's not like a super popular name. It's a great name, but there's not a lot of Abrahams out there anymore, right? So the chances of me getting a phone call from a wrong, like the wrong number, and they're asking for an Abraham is like staggering, right? I'm, I'm now paying attention and I'm like driving, but I'm also kind of like shaking. I'm like, you know? And I said, as an Abraham? And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, I think you got the wrong number. To this day, I wish I would have said I'm Abraham because it may have been an angel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to go back in time and say, you got the right number. Keep talking, you know? Like, <laughs> the Lord is looking for his Abrahams, people who would relentlessly wage a war against these horrible ideas about God and yet love every single person that might be carrying those ideas. Here's a phrase that you guys have probably heard before. If you can't find it in scripture, throw it out. Now, I actually love the heart behind that. Like when people say stuff like that, what they're saying is, in anything that you're encountering like that you think is like from the Holy Spirit, it has to measure up to the truth of scripture. Amen, hallelujah, 100% agree. But here's, here's where there's a little bit of a breakdown in just that phrase. If you can't find it in scripture, you have to throw it out. Well, that means that you are uh, limiting a limitless God to the pages of a book. You know, one who has no beginning and end doesn't fit in a book that has both a beginning and an end, right? Here's another problem with, if you can't find it in scripture, you have to throw it out. They didn't find Jesus in scripture, and so they threw him out, right? We were just talking about that. He showed up and he looked nothing like, they, they searched the scriptures. Jesus would even say things to them. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you would have life. And so they scoured the scriptures 
looking for the Messiah, trying to piece together the puzzle pieces, trying to find the hidden Messiah in the mosaic of scripture. And when he showed up, he didn't look anything like they thought he would look like. And so since they couldn't find him in scripture, they threw him out. Again, I know that it comes from good intentions. We want to keep people safe. We want to keep the church out away from error, maintaining a great environment. But usually what that is, is it's fear masquerading as the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, he makes a mess. It just does. You know that, that proverb, proverb, it's Proverbs 14.4, where it says, if there is no ox in the stall, then the stable is clean. But with the ox comes great increase. Or with the power of the ox comes a great harvest. So what's our power? The same power at work in us that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the Holy Spirit. So we've got the power. We've got the ox in the stall, Right? which means that there will be messes. There's no, if there's no ox in the stall, you're gonna have a clean church. We've, already, we've been to churches like that, right? Very tidy, amazing production, like incredible stuff. Like, and a lot of good things happen. It's very clean. But if you figure out how to get rid of the mess, you figure out how to get rid of the Holy Ghost. Y'all are looking at me like a... <laughs> Now, this, this isn't like permission to be flippant or childish. This isn't permission for us to just like invent messes. No, not at all. But like when, when there is actual power of the Holy Spirit presence, present, it is going to make interest for interesting gatherings. Anybody ever seen someone just fall out in the Holy Spirit or someone who came in with an oppressive spirit like the Holy Spirit shows up and they hit the floor and start slithering like a snake or screaming out or you know shaking around well it's it, it's messy and we've we've been to churches where like they they try to avoid any of that happening cuz God forbid you know someone manifests a demon for the you know that they've been carrying for 10 years but anyway I digress we've been to services like that where the power of the Lord shows up and it gets messy don't y'all want that church is boring if you don't have the holy ghost <laughs> like, like join a social club if you don't, it's, it's about the same thing, you know? All right, Woo. I'm gonna come back down off my soapbox and get back into teaching. Um. <laughs> Guys, he's just so creative. He's so spontaneous. God never changes and yet he still surprises us. That's a paradox, right? This God that never changes still shows up in ways that we would never imagine. I love him so much. Like, that is fun. I think that um, God is just, he's into unconventional ways. He's creative. He is the creator. Um, so like throughout history, we would hear, we've heard of crazy stories of ways people got healed. Like the, we know the Lord loves to heal, but he also loves to heal in weird ways. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like people kicking tumors out of people, 
please don't do that. You know, like, <laughs> I give you permission to do that outside these doors, but don't kick anyone who has cancer. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna try to not get myself in trouble here. So like, it, it's happened. These are documented healings. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying that it's happened. People have gotten healed in weird ways. I mean, Smith Wigglesworth is just famous, uh, you know, modern day kind of apostle who would heal people in wild ways. And I'm not going to tell that story. I'm just moving on. We had a, I had a friend who had, was diagnosed with cancer. And um, me and my buddy had recently been to a healing conference where the pastor got up on stage and he said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I feel like the Lord told me to. And he's ripping up sticky notes and he's handing them out to everyone at the conference. And he says, the Lord says that these sticky notes are like trees of healing or leaves of healing from the tree of life. And if you have pain in your body, just <laughs> stick the sticky note to where the pain is. And people are getting healed all over the place. But my buddy Vince actually kept one. He put it in his wallet. He's like, this will come in, you know, in handy later. <laughs> and so literally like a week later, our buddy is diagnosed with cancer. And uh, we're praying for him. And Vince like pulls out his wallet and opens it up. And I'm looking at Vince while we're praying. I'm like, no, man, no. He's like, yeah, man. <laughs> and he, say, he says to our buddy who's been diagnosed with cancer, this sticky note is a leaf from the tree of life. It's a leaf of healing from the tree of life in Revelation 22. And, and if you place it on the <laughs> cancerous area, we believe you'll be healed. And I'm like... So the dude takes it into the bathroom with him, sticks it to the you know, part of his body where he has cancer, and he comes back and he's like, the deed is done. He goes to the doctor the next day, the oncologist, they're doing like a final x-ray before a major operation, and they basically just say, what did you do? All the, the masses are gone, the cancer's gone. From a sticky note. At least we didn't spit in some mud and rub it in some poor guy's eye, right? Who would do that? Like, oh, <laughs> Jesus did that. He horked loogies in mud and rubbed it in a blind dude's eyeballs. Like, actually made his situation worse. You ever had mud in your eye before? Like, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and, anyway. Jesus, like, he just wouldn't heal the same way twice. <laughs> I had a friend who uh, went on a mission trip to um, Germany, but like it was in like the, the backwoods of Germany where there were these um, local um, gypsies, like they're travel like groups of people. They're like like towns, and um, and so their their whole mission trip, they would set up this these tents in, all around these parts of Germany and minister to gypsies, modern day gypsies. And my friend, her name's Nicole, um, she laid hands on a guy who had come up for prayer, a complete stranger, um, and there's a translator there, because she only speaks English. She starts praying in tongues. I don't know what her tongue sounds like, but that's what mine sounds like. And, and the guy begins weeping. And she learns through the translator that 
She is praying for his family members by name in his gypsy German dialect. Gives his life to Jesus. Like, I don't think that one's even in the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so God is creative and he's doing good things. And when we're teaching, you know, teachers, we love lists and the, the Bible has some good lists. You know, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're, they're all in there. But I, I believe that, you know, the, there's, a, there's a gift of the Holy Spirit listed and it just says miracles. God, so God is like, yeah, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healing, faith, giving, and there's so many other things. Just call it miracles. Give someone the gift of miracles. They can just walk through on water, walk through walls, whatever. Like, Psalm uh, 115 verse three says, God does whatever he pleases. Um, another way that you can read that is God does whatever brings him pleasure which means like he, he sits on high and if he wants to do something, he's gonna do it. And there are gonna be plenty of times when it just doesn't make sense to us. And what I want us to do is, is not fall into the trap of the Pharisees and when the Holy Spirit shows up to do something, we say that doesn't look like the God that I know and so we mentally crucify the thing that God wants to do. Y'all hanging with me? Okay. Even joy, laughter, giggling, like it's an amazing thing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. One time the Lord whispered to me and he said, laughter is the Trojan horse that my angels ride into church in. You think, oh, we'll just let in a little joy, a little laughter, and then wham, angels of healing and weeping and deliverance and the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, if we don't like joy and laughter, we're gonna hate heaven. We might as well get used to it now, like embrace the joy and laughter and celebration. Um, when I hear my kids having a great time on the other side of the house, I hear them all giggling and laughing and stuff, I will drop what I'm doing and run across the house to experience it. And join in the fun. And so a lot of people have this false idea that God has to make us do something in order for us to be joyful. And it, but it's like this chicken or the egg kind of thing, right? Did God come and make us all joyful or did we get all joyful and God couldn't resist it? And he said, that's the kind of party I want to be in. And he runs across the house and pulls out his camera. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I do when my kids are doing something crazy and fun and I just want to be part of it. He is a good dad. Sometimes when we just party and enjoy and like dive into like actually celebrating, he can't resist it. Yeah. Why do you think Jesus turned water into wine? They already had too much, right? <laughs> they, they were at a wedding and ran out, and so everyone probably had a glass or two. And so, you know, y'all know the story. It's in the Bible. Like, you're looking at me like I'm about to say something wrong. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do, Jesus? We've run out of wine. And Jesus, uh, you know, 
There's six earthen vessels. There's six giant jars filled with water. And, he, and that's what gets turned into wine, right? There's a lot of prophetic and symbolic stuff in this. Like an earthen vessel is often us, right? And the number six is man. So there's six, so it's really pointing to something here. Like Jesus showed up and he found man filled with water, but he wanted to fill us with wine. The first miracle of the Israelites leaving Egypt is they come to the waters of Mara, and it's bitter waters, they can't drink it, it's a real bummer. And the Lord shows Moses a stick, and Moses throws the stick, representing the cross, he throws the stick on the water, and when the stick lands on the bitter waters, it's turned sweet, right? So Jesus shows up and his first miracle is he takes perfectly good water and he turns it into wine. Why am I saying this? Because God is making us fit for a wedding. He is taking the things in us that we thought were just useful and he's turning them into things that are intoxicating. The washing of the water of the word, he's turning that washing of the water of the word into the washing of the water of the wine or washing of the wine, or whatever, you know what I'm saying. Like, but for 2,000 years, we've been trying to turn wine back into water. We've been trying to turn like, the, the presence and joy of the Lord, like the, the, what intoxicates us, spiritually speaking, the, the, the thing that gives us ecstatic joy, his very presence. We've been turning that, trying to turn it back into something that is useful or like to understand it, indoctrinate it, replicate it. I just think he wants to party again with us. I'm afraid, sometimes I think the Holy Ghost holds back because he's afraid that we're gonna take a moment and turn it into a monument. And Y'all know we've all done this. If, if you've gone to a church meeting and it's crazy powerful and some miracles break out, the next Sunday you're thinking, how do we replicate that? How do we do that again? And the Holy Spirit's like, nah. <laughs> We're gonna do it in like a way that you don't understand all over again. I wanna to go to a section of scripture that proves that Jesus loves to destroy our boxes, <laughs> okay? Go to, go to Mark 2. Mark 2, is, it, it's become one of my favorite sections of scripture because it's like story after story after story. It's like, it's high impact Jesus moments. This is Mark 2. Let's just start at the beginning. A few days later, when Jesus entered Cain, Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many, so many gathered that there was no room left, not, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, 
And now that's, that's intense, right? Could you imagine like this room is so packed out, there's just no way for people to even get in here. And so someone starts cutting through the ceiling because they've got an injured friend that they're going to lower down. They're like, don't ever tell me that it's not important to have like friends filled with faith around you. These, these friends' faith carried that guy to Jesus. Um, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that is an inflammatory statement indeed. Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse six, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Sorry, that is like my best imp- impersonation of a, of a religious spirit. <laughs> Maybe it's more annoying, m- more annoying, like, why does this person talk like that? <laughs> He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. But the religious leaders were not happy, were they? Because he claimed to forgive sins. So he's doing something that goes completely against what they think is the right way to do things. Mark 2.16, he, um, Jesus and his irreverent posse are eating with sinners. And they're really, the Pharisees are really frustrated by this. They basically say to him, um, while Jesus was having dinner at, at uh, Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners." What they didn't know is that they were part of that group. They were in that group too. They just didn't realize it yet. So Jesus now two times in a very short amount of time has broken their cultural religious rules. And both times he's been confronted and he's just gonna keep on poking the bear. It's really fun to watch. Here we go. Now, this is verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So if John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, we could rightly say that it's a season for fasting, right? It's a culturally accepted season for fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come and the bridegroom will be taken away from them and on that day they'll fast. So Jesus is essentially saying like, it's party time. Like y'all don't know what time it is. I'm here, the food's good. 
I want to eat the food. Let's eat the food and party together. And this is just angering them even further. And then in uh, 2.24, let's keep on reading. Uh, Start at 23. On, On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord of even the Sabbath. I love this this story because David actually does something that is like highly punishable. Like, you just don't do that. You don't go in to the house of God and, and fill your stomach on what's supposed to be sacred bread. Now, my kids do this every Sunday. They go and raid the you know, communion bucket and they're just eating all those wafers and drinking the juice. Y'all know. <laughs> but David, like he's, in, he's living in, in a completely different time. You're, you can't do stuff like that. But Jesus clarifies everything and says, y'all, I didn't make you to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was something to bless you. And then in Mark 3, 2, he, um, he healed on the Sabbath. Um, Luke 13, he heals a woman who's bent over for 18 years on the Sabbath. Luke 14, 4, he healed a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. See, Jesus, he would do these things just walking around happy, free, and loving and just get rebuked like crazy. Jesus got rebuked a lot, but did he ever do anything wrong? Any of y'all ever been rebuked a lot for following the Holy Spirit? No servant's greater than his master, right? If they treated Jesus like that, they're gonna treat you like that. And it's actually kind of a good litmus test. Once you start getting persecuted for your message of grace, you know you're starting to tap into Jesus's message of grace. If you've never been persecuted for your message, this isn't me downing on anyone like or myself. I'm just saying that if you've never been persecuted for your message, is your message Jesus's? Is the way you're living, are you living the way Jesus did? Because persecution is actually like a promise for people who, who live like him. So Jesus is just breaking all of their traditions and he's just getting rebuked left and right. And then it kind of comes to a head um, in Mark 7. Let's turn there. The, all these stories are just like a few days apart, by the way. And just, that's why I, I love the, these sections of scripture. So in uh, Mark 7, verse 5, Jesus and his crazy posse are eating with unclean hands. Now, first of all, that's gross, but that's not the reason (laughs) the Pharisees were upset. It was because they weren't adhering to one of their traditions to ceremonially, you know, clean their hands with water. Like, they they don't understand germs. They're all using the same water anyway. So it's gross to us, but for them, it's just irreverent. 
and they're being uh, blasphemers again, right? They're being um, heretics by, by not traditionally washing their hands. So uh, this is verse five. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of their elders instead of eating food with unclean hands? And that, so Jesus has been dealing with this for a while. And in this section, he, he, he actually lays into him a little bit. This is verse six. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you've done many things like that. We talked about the word of God a minute ago, right? It's the most powerful force in the universe. Isaiah talks about the word of God like this. Um, this is Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. So the word of God is powerful. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God. And Jesus, in this moment, says to them, you are nullifying the word of God. I looked up the word nullify, just because I wanted to like, really have the gravity of this set in. It means to, to render or declare legally void or inoperative, to nullify a contract, to deprive something of value or effectiveness, to make futile, futile or of no consequence, to make useless, invalidate, bring to nothing, to cancel out. Jesus says, like, I mean, he's, he's essentially saying, the most glorious and powerful thing, the, the, the best thing in the world, the thing, the very thing that God wants to do, his, his very intentions for you, you are stopping. And the way you're doing it is by holding to your traditions. See, our traditions can be the very thing that rob us of what God wants to do. That's why I'm talking about the difference between expectations and expectancy. I just, I want us to say, come Lord, how, however you want. I'm saying all this because um, I believe that an outpouring is coming that's gonna challenge all of our comfort zones. 
I believe that the Lord is, is gearing up to do something amazing in our day and in our time. I, f- I feel the Holy Spirit putting so much emphasis on uh, the prayer of Habakkuk in 3-2 where he says, um, Lord, I've heard of your fame and I stand in all of your deeds. Renew them in our day and in our time. Make them known. And so I look around this room and I see brothers and sisters who've experienced God, but we've also heard amazing things about God. We've, heard, we've read the books of revivals and outpourings and we've read the good book. We've read, we've read the stories of power and, and we're, we're wondering why our, our world and our life doesn't look like that. And we're crying out and we're saying, Lord, I'm not gonna limit you to my experience. I'm not going to lessen the the power of the Holy Spirit based on what I have experienced in my life. I, I just believe, I'm going to step into faith and believe that what Jesus promised was real, that we would do greater things because he goes to the Father. I'm gonna step into this place and believe that we're gonna do amazing, miraculous things. Lord, renew your power in our day and in our time, make it known. I want want Frisco to become a town of reformation, revival, rejuvenation, renewal. I want people to come to Frisco because they heard that in Frisco, churches are healing the worst kinds of sicknesses and injuries and diseases. I want those stories where people traveled long distances to wherever the revival was and whenever they got into like within the vicinity of the city just getting in the vicinity they got healed there's stories of like revivals on the east coast and when ships are coming into harbor when they get within a certain distance of the city where the revival's breaking out the whole crew hits the deck and gives their life to Jesus because the presence of God is just all over that area like why not Frisco I'll tell you why not. Traditions. We can literally stop what God wants to do by thinking he has to come a certain way. I love what our founder and my friend Michael Miller says. He says, this is one of his sayings, this is weird, it might be God. It probably is. Can you say that? This is weird. It might be God. It probably is. (laughs) This is how we give one another permission to go after the things of God. This is a critical juncture, though. This is actually the juncture where many movements have become monuments. We've seen it throughout history, and usually movements become monuments when uh, you, you just start holding to a pattern of trying to recreate what God has done. And the issue with that is that manna is only supposed to last for one day. It gets stale. Like manna from heaven, the word from heaven, God has a daily bread for us, which means that what he did yesterday, he's not interested in doing exactly the same today. Now, I'm not living for an encounter of a lifetime. I'm living for a lifetime of encounters. Which means that I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not trying to manufacture or drum up or like have some like hyped up incredible moment. I, I already know Jesus is real, but I do know that people are going to have radical encounters if we keep on 
keeping on, if we stay steady in ministering to the heart of God through worship and prayer, morning, noon, and night, he is going to infuse this atmosphere with his presence. And when people come into it, they're going to get changed. I've talked enough. Let's pray. Anybody who wants to get free from any negative church tradition, why don't you stand with me? Lord, we just want everything that you have for us. We want everything that you have for us. We're so grateful for what you've done, but we're also at the same time hungry and believing for more. What you've done in our lives is amazing. So many of us can look back at undeniable miracles, spiritual phenomena, the voice of the Lord, dreams in the night, feeling your power through the laying on of hands. So many of us can look back multiple times in our life and say, God met me there. You met me there, God. But we're believing for more and that you would renew your power in our day and in our time, you would make your deeds known. Father, I wanna be part of a body where when we gather, people come because they don't wanna miss something that you might do, God. I wanna be part of a body that when we gather, people are a little bit afraid to come through the doors. They tremble just a little bit at your word, at the power of your presence. Lord, we wanna be part of a body where sickness doesn't get to stay and demonic oppression doesn't get to continue, Lord. So we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and that you would deliver every single one of us from stinking thinking, from traditions that have robbed us of powerful moments in you, and that you would teach us how to welcome the Holy Spirit unlike any generation has ever done. Yes. Jesus, we believe prophetically that you were crucified in Golgotha which means you were crucified in the place of the skull for a reason. So I ask that right now that we would be crucified in the place of our skull. And any thinking that is at enmity with you, Lord, we ask that it would be put to rest and that we would walk by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.